Welcome to Conversations with Pastor Drew, a podcast for the members of Emmanuel Baptist Church so that we can get to know other members of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Each month I'll sit down with a member of EBC and talk to them about their spiritual life, about the church, and just other matters uh, that just show what interesting people we have here uh, belonging to our community. I hope you enjoy it. Well, my guest on the podcast today is Paige Conant. Paige and her husband, Thomas, have been coming to Emmanuel for a number of years. Thomas serves in our audiovisual department, making sure that we're streaming on Sunday mornings and making sure that the lyrics are broadcast for everyone to see. We're so thankful for him. And Paige has served in a number of ministries at our church. She is very influential in the songs that we sing on Sunday morning and the arrangements that we use to sing them. She plays piano, she sings, uh, she's worked with music with VBS, she's probably taught along the way. Uh, she uh, does quite a lot. She and Thomas have four beautiful children who bring a lot of life and vigor to our church. We're so grateful for them. And so I'm glad that Paige has joined us today where we're gonna talk about music in the church. We're gonna talk about Christmas music, how music affects us. We're gonna learn that we disagree about Mariah Carey's Christmas song uh, but that we both really love Beethoven. Uh, we're going to get ever so slightly nerdy about music for a minute or two, uh, and then we're going to wrap up by talking about how the high-pressure evangelism and revivalism of the SBC had an effect on us uh, and how we're seeking to deal with the fallout of that even as we enjoy the blessings. So join us today as we talk to Paige Conant. Miss Paige Conant, welcome <laughs> to my podcast. I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, I always begin these podcasts, at least the other one I've done, mm -hmm. uh, with the question, when did you become a member of EBC? I had to think back on this one. Yes. Um, but I became a member of Emmanuel about six months after I started attending here with my then boyfriend, now husband, um, in 2011. 2011? Mm-hmm. It's been that long. It's been that long. Wow. And then how soon after that did you start playing in the praise team? 2013 in October. It took I me two years to rope you in? Um, well, I was singing before that. Probably for about six months singing with you guys. And then that's when Pam and Dorwin left. And that's when I said, well, I could probably try something on the piano. And then I grew a lot on that piano bench. Yes. Uh, both musically and literally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because you've been yeah. pregnant on that piano bench. Four times. Four times. Mm -hmm. Which leads to the question, tell us a bit about your family. Um, so as I mentioned, my husband, um, Thomas, um, he serves with the AV stuff here at Emmanuel. And um, we have four children together. Um, our oldest is Timothy. He is six years old. We have Layla, who is four and a half, and Scarlett, who is three. And then bringing up the caboose is Sadie at one, almost one and a half. Almost one and a half. Mm -hmm. Bless. So you and Thomas live in Sumter. Mm-hmm. You drive here on Sundays. And Wednesdays. And Wednesdays, and a lot of other times. Mm -hmm. And normally you have four kids in tow, mm -hmm. which leads to this question. Um, 
because there aren't many people who would drive from over a half hour away Mm -hmm. with four kids Mm -hmm. to just about everything. Why are you so faithful? Oh, gosh. (laughs) What drives you to come to church Um, with four kids from half hour away? Well... Lots of things. One being, Emmanuel is not your typical church. The people here um, love you in a way that not every church does. Um, And not trying to blow smoke, but your teaching is not like any other pastors teaching I've ever been under and so for for one thing is the way we receive the word um and the way we love each other and then in addition to that I just I have a place here that I can serve in a ministry that I love and for me is it a bother well not really I don't think it's a bother but is it some can it be seen as inconvenient to have to lug four children in an old minivan up to you know 30 minutes away from your home for church yes but i do it gladly because i've also been taught that worship is more than music worship is your heart and what you do and so i guess for me it's an act of worship just just coming and dealing with all that i have to deal with to come is an act of worship that I then get to worship with. Yep, that makes sense. I like that. So not only uh, are you a member of EBC, a wife, and a homeschooling mom now, mm-hmm. uh, you also run a business. I do. The fruits of which <laughs> are sitting on the table beside me right now, um, which is you... Uh, have a business baking. Mm-hmm. Why in the world do you have a business? Yeah, baking? I don't really know. Uh, no, when we so when we moved into the home that we're in, I, I had to leave my career. I say I had to leave. I chose to leave my career as a music teacher because it is a whole lot less expensive to stay home with four children than it is to put four children in daycare on a teacher's salary. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I chose to come home. When we moved into the house that we live in now, um, I said to my husband, you know, I I feel like I should contribute in some way to the household income. What do you think? And he said, well, you don't have to do that, but what about your cakes? Because I was doing cakes for the kids' birthdays, and they were a little bit more on the extravagant end, and um, I enjoyed it. And I said, well, I'll have to figure some stuff out. So I took some online classes and kind of honed some skills and it's taken off and I've made more money than I expected. Yay. So made more cakes than you expected. Made a whole lot more cake than I expected. <laughs> yeah. And I'm always happy when you mess them up because eventually I Sure. Tend, yeah, I tend to benefit right from church. that. All right. So, uh you're here every Sunday. You said that you have a history in music mm-hmm. and you talked even about worship beginning when you start to lug the kids here in the car mm-hmm. uh, twofold question what makes you so passionate about worship music and where did your love of music begin well I want to answer the second question first All right. so my love of music began um, when I 
when the doctor smacked me on the butt when I came out of my, you know. Um, no, I grew up in a family who, uh, that we, we were always very musical. My dad was the music minister of the churches that we went to. My mom always played the piano um, everywhere we went to church. And so I kind of came by that honestly. Um, my dad is also in a Southern Gospel Quartet. Um, and uh, he encouraged us to sing. We He taught us how to harmonize. And so we did that in church a lot. And then... As I grew in my relationship with the Lord, as I as I, I, I decided that, that that needed to really be for Him and for Him only, and so that therein lies the passion part of it is that be, because it's my act of worship, it's what I want. It's what I want to do for the Lord, and if it's going to be something that I want to do for the Lord, I want to do it to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's where that passion, I guess, would, would come from. It's my desire to, to serve and glorify him. Yeah. And you, you listen to probably more worship music than I do. Possibly. Yes. <laughs> um, because I have a tendency to listen to more. I'm a nerd. So classical music and jazz, what I tend to listen to mm-hmm. a lot of. And then 90s pop music but that's just because that's when I was young uh, but you listen to a lot of worship music uh, who should the people of Emmanuel Baptist Church check out okay um I kind of have to pull my Spotify up real quick because I got all my, my my list there but I really like um well we we do a lot the music we do here um indelible grace sovereign grace city of light I I have I used to really love Shane and Shane and then I stopped liking Shane and Shane and I'm kind of back on on yeah, the okay. Shane and Shane train. Yes. Um, let's see, Journey Collective, uh, of course, uh, Keith and Kirsten Getty. Um, if if you go to if you go to Emmanuel Baptist Church and you don't listen to Keith, Keith and Kirsten Getty, I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, Matt Boswell. Yeah. I already said Sovereign Grace. Yeah. Um, oh, Rend Collective. I really like them. Uh, Andrew Peterson. Um, Will uh, Wendell Kimbrough, which we, we yes. did in You, Oh Lord, I Am Found recently with, with his music. Um, yeah, I think that probably, that, that's a few people could start picking up yeah. if they're not already. What is your favorite song that we sing as a church? That's not a fair question. Sorry. Um... I will list a few okay. that I really, really love. Um, if my one of my favorite songs that I first started singing here was "Behold Our God." Yeah. Um, that one's a that one means a lot to me. Um, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yeah. Is a big one. Um, Grace that we the City of Light song Grace that we've been singing is um, is really important to my heart. Um, Only a holy God. That's big on on my list. Yeah. Those are good ones. Yeah. I like those as well. Well, right now, it's December. You're the December podcast, mm-hmm. which means we're singing a particular kind of music, and that is Christmas music. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's anything special about Advent or Christmas music? Oh, absolutely. Particularly uh, Advent music that... Is, and this is my opinion. Um, but... Advent music that presents the entire gospel. Um, now, not... when you say entire gospel, what in the world do you mean? You mean full gospel, <laughs> like speaking in tongues? No, no, okay. no. Um, I mean, 
the, uh, starting with the birth of Christ, um, addressing our depravity and our need for him, the, the sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross, and um, resurrection, and um, of course, our, the, the grace given to us through that and the righteousness we receive. Okay. And so you think Christmas songs do that well? I think some Christmas songs do that really well. Yep. Well, yeah, so let's, we've asked you what your favorite songs. What are your favorite Christmas songs and why? Um, my first answer to this question is going to be that I, in high school, I was in the choir um, in, at Sumter High, and uh, there's one song that we did I think two two different Christmases, and it was it's 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 not that old. It's from nineteen ninety four, um, and it's Morton Morton Lardson's Omanu Mysterium. Ooh. and um, it's just gorgeous. It's a beautiful choral arrangement, and I listen to it every Christmas to my husband's chagrin um, when I decorate our Christmas tree. So that's playing in the background, looping over and over and over again until the Christmas tree's done. Um, so. That's one end of it, but um, what we traditionally sing and stuff would be "O Holy Night." Yeah, especially the 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 gospel story one. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. Not only to me does Christmas music tend to tell the whole gospel, it also tends to tell it in a story form, mm-hmm. and I like that mm-hmm. because for two reasons. Um, Number one, I feel like a lot of modern worship music is sort of what I like to call pearls on a string Mm. music, where you just have one line that's pretty good, and then you have another line that's pretty good, then you have another line that's pretty good, but they're just almost disconnected thoughts. Um, Whereas Christmas music tends to tell a story, Mm. and the Bible is overwhelmingly stories. And, of course, the entire Bible is a story of redemption. And so I like Christmas music because it's the, it's, it's the one time of year where we don't seem to mind songs that tell a story. And even, I was just thinking about this, even a lot of the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings are somewhat story-oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, like this past week we sang, what's the one in D by Matt Papa that we sing a lot? Oh, gosh. Come behold. The Wondrous Mystery, yeah. Come behold the Wondrous Mystery. Yeah. It just kind of, it's the, the whole song fits together rather than mm-hmm. sort of nice but disconnected thoughts. Well, other than kind of covering the whole story, what else about Advent and Christmas music do you really like? Um, well, I, I really like the, the musical end of it, not mm. just the story, but the... Um, so there's, I, I did a little bit of research um, before coming today, and one of the things I was like, I looked up was like, what makes Christmas music Christmassy? Like, what is it? And other than the Jingle Bells? Other than, well, well, Jingle Bells is actually a Thanksgiving song. Oh. Um, um, but uh, it's like the only Thanksgiving song, but we turned it into a Christmas song. Um, um, this is my nerd moment. Um, <laughs> but... But Christmas music tends to be it's in a, it's usually in a major key. Now there's there's like O Come O Come Emmanuel that's in minor and and um, like um, what child is this? It's in a very minor key. 
um, which gives a very like mysterious kind of feel. But then you've got most Christmas music, which is going to be like in a major key and it's kind of got a very happy feel to it. But then there's like this, this they toss in these little sprinkles of minor and diminished. Mm -hmm. And when you have those little things in there, it, for some reason, that gives it that kind of Christmas twist. And um, uh, the, one example, and this is a secular example, but it, it's, uh, it, and it's annoying. I, I don't like the song, <laughs> but um, the, the Mariah Carey song, All I Want for Christmas that is That annoys you. I hate that song. I think that's the last good Christmas song written. Really? Yeah. So it's in a major key, and then when you get to the word presents... They there is yes. this minor and uh, the, and actually it may be a diminished um, interval there, but you have the I don't I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents presents underneath the Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. And so there's that minor thing in there. Yep. So it that that and um, this like this real stirring. If you think about like the Nutcracker, yeah, um, all the Tchaikovsky stuff is just it's like if 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 you were to just kind of put a general like something that's going on with that is like, and there's just a lot of kind of spinning twirly things going spinning on. Spinning twirly things. Yeah, and that and that's it in a lot of Christmas music, not just like the classics. And I would say that that that's probably something that modern worship music could learn from. And I think some people are learning from it, that it's okay for the music to be a little complicated. Mm -hmm. It's I, better. It is better. Because I feel like <laughs> a lot of worship music, which I love, you know, and really does me good, um, tends to stay within a four-note range, which is fine because it's, it's e easily singable and probably easily memorizable. But uh, I, I do like older songs because they, they called forth a little more from the, from the people singing. You know, you got to invest yourself in it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I, I, do, I do like that. And I think it's interesting, a point you brought up, and it would be good for non-musicians to think about, that the setting of the music adds. It adds to the song. Mm. Um, and it even adds to the mood that you're trying to create. So you mentioned O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and what child is this being minor key? And those are, you could say those are almost Adventy songs, mm -hmm. songs of longing. And so, They're somber. Somber. Yeah, yeah. Major, major, the major keys, as you very well know, um, tend to evoke more, more happiness um, or, or a feeling of being settled, um, and content, whereas minor keys um, tend to uh, rub you a little bit. There's yep. some tension there, and and, and which so, is not bad. Mm -mm. It's 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 more real to life because life isn't always happy and content. A lot of times we're dealing with things, and minor keys help with those feelings, in my opinion. They do help. So let me ask you this question. One thing I try to do as a pastor here is to sing sad songs. Mm -hmm. Should we? I like singing sad songs. Yep. Okay. <laughs> but I think it, it, uh, my dad would say that it's all about balance. And yeah. I, and I think there's truth, There's a lot of truth to that, that, um, that 
I think we should sing the sad songs that we need to we need to remember our depravity and and be sad about that but then on the other side of that the all of the good happy music the, the major is is going to evoke you know the 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 grace that we've been given and the happiness we can feel from that it's interesting that on any given sunday as a pastor who tries to pick the music and you know that i don't always pick the music i try to get a lot of input but balance is the key and i think i do like to have a repertoire of sad songs because mm-hmm. it's it seems to me unfair on any given sunday to try and create an atmosphere that only recognizes joyful feelings because people just don't live that way and they mm-hmm. don't come into church that way. Mm-hmm. And I don't experience life that way. Right. Uh, and so it's good to have sad songs and minor keys help with that. You know, I was just thinking as you were talking, and this is my nerd moment because I do like, you like to do this too. You like to analyze music, but I've always thought Listening to Beethoven, to me, his saddest music is in C-sharp minor. And if you look at a lot of classical music, it seems to me that C-sharp minor is the saddest key. That's just my opinion. You can disagree. It, I, I'll go with it. Okay. Because <laughs> he wrote uh, Pathétique, Piano yeah, Sonata. Yeah, that's my favorite Piano sonata. Is that your favorite piano sonata? Absolutely. I did a whole paper on it in college. Well, this makes sense because the the audience... The second movement. The second movement is my favorite piece of classical music of all time. And this is where everybody who's listening is like, what are they talking about? I'm going to put a piece of it in this podcast um, because it's brilliant. But Mm. interesting, you and I like a lot of the same kinds of music, so that doesn't shock me. Did you know that that's the first... Well, no, is that the one... When he was going that, deaf? No, he he actually named it Pathetique. Like Moonlight Sonata, he didn't name it that, but Pathetique, he named that one. Yeah. And E-flat major is a bombastic key. There's a lot of bombastic, almost military music is written mm-hmm. in that key. So I think keys carry certain connotations, just like some colors carry certain connotations. But alas, we digress because most, <laughs> most people have already tuned out. So we want to have negative music as well as positive music i'll tell you my favorite piece of christmas music that wasn't written for christmas either which is joy to the world Mm -hmm. that's just uh i'm really glad you brought that up yeah because the the um well and and it's this is more the music side of it um a lot of people when or when we teach um the major scale uh, especially the descending major scale, yeah. we teach it to children um, as well. Think about the song "Joy to the World" because "Joy to the World." I'm going to use some solfege here. If you um, if you were to sing it, do ti la sol fa mi re do, that is do ti la sol fa mi re do, which is the the descending major scale. Indeed, it is. So it's just set to a rhythm. Isn't it interesting that? He, he chose the descending scale there. It makes sense, though. And I think that fits with what you've been saying, because Joy to the World tells an entire story as well. Mm-hmm. It tells the story of the gospel and of the mission of God and the world, and it does it uh, in, a, in a happy key, mm-hmm. a, a major key. What key is it in, I wonder? I don't know off the top of my head. I... Um, 
probably one of the happier keys we'll go with. Well, that's good. Well, tell me this then, um, as we begin to draw things to a close, mm -hmm. I like to keep these things under a half hour. Uh, and somebody else is watching all four of your kids and we want to be kind to them. Uh, I'm as if watching your children is a chore. My children do it, it every week chore. and they love it. <laughs> uh, you have good kids. Um, when did you become a believer and how did that happen? Whew. Um, well, it's it's kind of interesting. I, we, we, we did this uh, back in, well, unintentionally, but we did this back in March, April, whenever. Do you remember when they did, there was a big old thing? Remember when the Gospel Coalition yes. said, share your story? And, you know, I thought about it, and when I grew up, I grew up in, in under the you say the prayer and then you're a Christian kind of thing. And um, I have since decided I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I, I don't think that's how God changes hearts. And so um, when I was seven years old, I listened to a sermon. I came home and under what I felt was what I now identify as kind of pressure, not not specifically from my parents or from any one person, but just like this kind of pressure that I was supposed to ask Jesus into my heart. I, um, you know, I told my mom and dad I wanted to ask Jesus in my heart. We said a prayer, um, but I remember after that several times in my life going, I don't, I, I, I think I've got to do this again. And, um, but but I think it was probably sometime in middle school or high school when, when things became real to me. Um, and I decided what I, who, who I want to live for is not me. Um, I, I've been forgiven and I want to live for Christ. I want to live for the Lord who has rede redeemed me. And so um, I, I just chose to change how I was living. And um, I realized I, that was going to take daily grace and still does. And um, I, I don't know if that really answers your question completely, but... No, it's a common experience. It's my experience. I, I think I was saved sometime between the age of seven and 22. <laughs> um, you know, because... the And I think... You know, you and I come out of the same kind of background mm. and uh, parents who are heavily involved in ministry and good parents who are heavily involved in ministry right. who did the best they could and did a great job. Mm. Um, but the context in which we grew up um, seemed to teach more about a moment of decision rather than a life of faith. Right. And you chose the word pressure but that's exactly the word I would have chosen as well. Um, and I think that that has had long-term impact on my life. I'm not trying to overcome the way my parents raised me because they did a good job and they weren't legalists and they were nice people. Mm -hmm. But the, um, the entire context in which I grew up with kind of a revivalistic Southern Baptist thing. Right, yeah. Um, I think was the genesis of a lot of anxiety in my life that I've had to try and work through and learn grace. Um, because like you, I think that I uh, asked Jesus into my heart right before every thunderstorm between the ages of like four and 11. Yeah. Uh, I convinced myself one time that uh, the first time it worked and then the second time it, it was like a light switch, like on and off. Like, if I had to do it the second time, then I wasn't really saved. And mm -hmm. then, you know, like that. And 
And that, that I think, you know, you say that Emmanuel is a different kind of church. I, I hope that we're different, especially in that way, that we're trying to, to just look at people and go, stories about significant and instant change are amazing and they're very encouraging. Mm-hmm. But the fundamental question is, are you believing now? Um, and are you believing specifically in the fact that God is a good and a gracious God who forgives sinners, you know, like us? Well, good. Um, I'm looking over my question sheet. Is there anything that you think the people of Emmanuel should know about you that they don't know already? I think the people of Emmanuel know just about everything there is to know. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's something that people don't know about me. And I, I, nothing comes to mind, but I'm usually a, a, a decently open book, so. Yep. <laughs> well, Paige Conant, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for uh, your faithfulness. We're grateful for your talents and your gifts. Uh, I'm thankful for the cake that is sitting beside me. <laughs> and uh, we're thankful for Thomas and his faithfulness and the AV stuff. And we're thankful for your children because we love them. Uh, And so thank you very much for participating in this. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Well, there you go. Episode two down. So thankful for Paige coming in and recording that. Paige is a really good friend. I'm grateful for her, grateful for her family. And this has just been a real pleasure to talk to her and learn a little bit more about uh, the way God's been at work in her life and uh, what EBC means to her and her family and what they mean to us. Uh, I hope you'll join us again next month. We'll see who we're going to interview then. Uh, In the meantime, come to church. We're still meeting in the gym. Uh, We're still practicing uh, social distancing and safety practices in light of COVID, but we would love to see you there and with us. And uh, until next month, uh, we hope to see you in church. God bless you.